job of it. Welcome, my friends, to the Moon Jockeys podcast, <laughs> an in-depth discussion of Star Wars themes, characters, and storylines. Now, here are your hosts. Welcome to another episode of Moon Jockeys Podcast. My name is Brian, your host. You may know our guest tonight from the Star Wars The Saga Continues. How are you doing tonight, Kyle? I'm doing great, Brian. How are you? I'm doing awesome. Um, I'm excited to talk some more Clone Wars tonight. Um, did you have any opinions what the Clone Wars meant to you at all? Oh my gosh, I could do a whole two-hour episode just about that. Um, I'm I'm super excited to be talking Clone Wars. I mean, when you asked me to come on and uh, be a guest host with you for an episode, and you kind of threw out a few topics, um, and one of them was, uh, you know, favorite Clone Wars episodes. And at the time, uh, we had just gotten the announcement that Clone Wars was coming back, you know, right after the uh, 10th anniversary celebration at San Diego Comic-Con. Um, and, man, I've just been on cloud nine ever since then. Um, I mean, I've been a Star Wars fan since I was a little kid, but Clone Wars was kind of at a cool time for me because um, I was I was 17, I think, when the Clone Wars movie came out um, and just graduating high school and going into college uh, that summer that the movie came out and then, you know, obviously got into the series right from the get go. Um, and so it's not one of those things that I grew up with necessarily, but it was it's sort of the the backdrop i guess if you will of um you know some of my formative adult years um and just a lot of memories of you know college and first adult experiences and stuff like that and you know all that time there was the clone wars um and just getting really into some of these really cool star wars stories that really helped to kind of flesh out the mythology um and add a lot of depth and weight to the prequel trilogy and add some really cool new characters and stories and stuff so um i have always been a huge fan of the clone wars um even from the beginning and it just got better and better as it went on um, i'm super excited that it's coming back and i can't wait till we get to see the new episodes next year um and uh yeah happy to be here talking about it that awesome i was a little more reserved when i saw the clone wars in the theater um i guess i'm a little bit older than um than you and tim were and so Ahsoka really, I was one of those bad people that uh, didn't like Ahsoka right away. Like, her calling Anakin um, Sky Guy and r 2 really just, it's like, who's this pratty kid and why is she <laughs> on this? Like, where did she come from? Um, luckily, things changed a lot uh, quickly when she started calling him Master and kind of giving him a, a little bit more respect. Um, she quickly won over my heart and now she's like definitely one of my favorite characters in all of Star Wars but um, it just started off a little rocky for me uh, when mm -hmm. I, but like I was watching every episode week by week on uh, Cartoon Network of course um, it, this episode is actually really hard because we're actually going to talk about our top five episodes of all of Clone Wars and at this point there are more hours of animation than there are of film 
And so that's a lot of episodes to choose from to nail it yeah. down to five is quite a challenge. Before yeah, we... it was it Go was ahead. really hard. Um, but yeah, I think uh, hopefully we've been able to come up with some good picks. <laughs> We had a couple poll questions. Do you have some time to go over those with me? Oh, yeah, for sure. Cool. The first question was, um, what is your favorite episode of The Clone Wars? And Twitter limits my responses, so I can only pick four. The Wrong Jedi, Lawless, Sacrifice, which is from the Yoda arc, or The Ghosts of Mortis. And the winner of the poll was The Wrong Jedi, Ahsoka leaving the Jedi Order with 32%. Uh, that is, it was a pretty close one. Lawless and Ghost of Mortis both had 27% of the vote. So it was a pretty close race. Which of those would you say, or what is your favorite episode? Well, actually, don't hold on to that because we'll probably <laughs> yeah, get into I, that a little I, bit later. <laughs> I purposely, like, I saw your, your polls that you posted on Twitter and I was like, I'm not going to vote in those because I'll just talk about it on the episode. <laughs> Uh, I will say I thought I would do something a little fun for me personally for this episode because I've done an, an episode um, on my podcast before on The Saga Continues where we did our top five favorite Clone Wars episodes. And I think I've even been on a couple panels before at conventions where we've talked about stuff like that. Um, so I thought I would challenge myself a little bit here and I let you make your list first. And then I was like, okay, I'll make my top five, but like without any duplicates and I'll skip over the episodes that, that Brian's picked and, uh, you know, maybe challenge myself to, to pick a couple deep cuts in there, um, or not talk about the same episodes that I would always talk about. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll get to that later because I'm sure I'll have some thoughts to chime in on a couple on your list, too. That's that's a good challenge because when I was going through all the episodes, th there are so many other, like, one-off series that you could um, just kind of highlight and talk about what's special about those. Um, it, it's a really good series, and uh, it's probably my favorite animation so far. Oh, yeah, same here. And I always like to tell people, like, it's so much easier for me to pick my top five, like, my five least favorite episodes of Clone Wars than my five favorite ones, because I can immediately rattle off, like, four that I hated, um, but they're, like, the only bad episodes of the series, and everything else is awesome, and when I try to pick my favorite ones, it's like, I could go back and forth all day. I could only come up with two. That's amazing. Um because at at one point I was like, well, which are, what are my least favorite episodes? And I came up with two very easily. Um, but yeah. What are your four? Uh, Evil Plans, which is the one where R2 and 3PO go shopping for fruit. That's the one I couldn't um, find. Okay. <laughs> um, a Sunny Day in the Void, where the droids just roam around in the desert and Mieber Gascon has an existential crisis and there's just, like, nothing interesting happening. Uh, corruption, where Padme and Duchess Satine investigate uh, some smugglers that are, like, bringing poison tea into the schools on Mandalore or something like that. Um, and then my last one, I think I went with, like, maybe the gungan general it's one of the one of the episodes from season one where jar jar was voiced by uh bj hughes who you know did a, a terrible job taking over for ahmed best and i'm so glad that he ended up coming back to uh take his character back yeah um yeah that i i mean that was just like 
that grinded my gears a lot. Um, so yeah, th- those are the easy ones for me to point to and be like, those were kind of the low points of Clone Wars. But again, it just got so much better from there. I guess I had three then. Uh, the one I couldn't find was the evil plans. It was I was trying to find the one with R2 and 3PO where they get kidnapped. And I'm like, because I really didn't like that one. Um, the sunny day in the void, as you said, is just not for me. I, I I did not like that episode at all. And the last one I didn't like was the Bombad General from season one. Um, it just... Or Bombad Jedi, maybe? Bombad Jedi, yeah. I, I didn't like that. Um, yeah, I didn't mind that too much. You know, I forgot one. So this rounds out my bottom five. It's uh, Pursuit of Peace. And that's the episode from season three where Padme gets caught up in a bunch of just like political investigation and stuff and she ends up like arguing just nitpicky stuff with the banking clan and i remember there's like a scene where she's in this guy's office and they're arguing over they're basically negotiating like interest rates on a loan and i'm like am i really watching a a star wars animated series right now i mean it feels like i'm watching like a cnn (laughs) yeah exactly i'm watching like galactic c-span um and then later she goes on a speeder bike chase with a couple of bounty hunters while wearing like a dress and a ridiculous hairdo and uh, it was just yeah, yeah that was also uh, a low point for me okay enough negative talk let's but talk yes, about the good, the good stuff um we just wrapped up the domino arc uh or the protocol 66 arc actually with your partner tim and so I kind of wanted to talk about what is your favorite episode from the Domino Squad arc in the Clone Wars in the next poll. And the options I gave uh, were Rookies, The Carnage of Krell, Fugitive, which is the episode where Fives put us together, like where the um, inhibitor chips come from and how they're inserted into all the clones. And then the last episode where Fives dies, which is Orders. And the results of that poll is 50% of the votes went straight to the Carnage of Crow, which is kind of the climax of the Pung Crow arc, the Umbara arc. Mm-hmm. Do you have any of those that you'd like to talk about? Or Well, um, I don't know. There might be some of those that we'll get to talk about a little later in the show. <laughs> um, but I will say, I mean, yeah, the Umbara arc. Probably, I, I actually have to admit, I, it's been a while since I've watched the Fives arc from uh, season six. Um, I mean, obviously, I've I've seen every episode of Clone Wars multiple times, but it's, I don't remember that one super clearly. Um, so I should go back and watch those again. But the Umbara arc, I mean, is one of the highlights of the series for me, and, and Carnage of Krell is a amazing episode. So I probably would have picked that option. It's just such a great episode when Rex figures out that they're killing other clones and so they start uh like running into the middle of the battlefield waving their arms around saying like cease fire cease fire because <laughs> mm-hmm. we're killing each other they're not clone or they're we're all brothers um and it's just kind of heartbreaking uh when when they realize that Punkrell has kind of set them up to massacre each other like that yeah definitely very heavy episode okay how about some easier ones what is your favorite episode from the mortis arc Ooh. oh the um results i gave or, i'm sorry the results were 
overlords, the altar of Mortis, and the ghost of Mortis, and the ghost of Mortis won with 50%. Really? Yeah. Well, I will uh, reserve my comments for later in the episode uh, because that will make an appearance on my list. But suffice it to say, it is not Ghosts of Mortis. Um, Now, I love the scene in there with uh, Anakin seeing his vision of the future and stuff. Just the way that that whole storyline was resolved, I thought, didn't make a ton of sense to me. Um, And the fact that, like, the sun shows Anakin the future... And he sees himself turning to the dark side and he's like, man, I got to do whatever I can to prevent this. And so he joins the sun and turns to the dark side. I was like, wait, where's the logic there? Like, I get that the sun is kind of offering you a way to prevent that. But don't you see that you're like doing exactly what you saw yourself doing in the vision? Um, And then the father just makes him forget it all. And so, I mean, it, it just wasn't my favorite bit of storytelling uh, from that arc, even though it has some really cool moments in it. My pick for this one was actually Overlords. Just the introduction of the Mortis gods in and of themselves in Mortis, I think kind of shook the fabric of the galaxy far, far away. I mean, because there was so much lore in that very first episode that kind of changed everything pretty much with what... um, what the origins of the force and how the force interacts with the galaxy. I, I just think that the overlords episode is my favorite of, of this arc. Hmm. Um, and then the last poll I put up this week uh, was a tough one. It's what is your favorite episode from the Yoda arc from the lost missions of season six. And then the three episodes were voices, destiny and sacrifice. And this one had no winner. Every single one got 33%. (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) Well, for me personally, um, it's funny that you just happen to keep pulling all these uh, story arcs that I really like. Because once again, you'll find out the answer as to which of those is my favorite uh, at some point on my list once we get into our top five. Yeah. This is one of my favorite arcs in all of the... The Clone Wars, by far. I mean, it has my favorite character focused, and so I adore these episodes a ton, and how much they... I think that the Yoda arc is a little bit more applicable in the rest of um, Star Wars than Mortis is, because I think Mortis is more of an allegory, whereas the Yoda arc actually gives some meat and potatoes on everything. Okay, let's get into some discussion. Um, Kyle, can you tell me what are your honorable mentions for tonight? Yeah, so we're doing three honorable mentions, right? Yep. Um, So interestingly enough, my first honorable mention is uh, an episode that hasn't exactly been released yet, at least not in its final form. Um, but I thought it would be cool to give an honorable mention to The Bad Batch, um, which is the title of the episode that's the first of the four of The Bad Batch arc. Um, I recently went and rewatched that on StarWars.com, and I was there when they showed it um, at Celebration Anaheim a few years ago. And 
even in its unfinished form, it's a really cool episode with, I think, some of the coolest clone trooper action sequences that we've ever gotten to see um, and a really cool and interesting and unique uh, group of kind of different clone troopers um, that we get introduced to. Um, and just I'm I'm really excited to see these episodes um, as part of the, you know, kind of final batch of 12 that we're getting next year. Um, and it seems like, I mean, based on the trailer that we got, there's a, a shot in there of uh, Hunter, who's the leader of uh, the Bad Batch. And so it seems like that's going to be one of the arcs that we'll be getting. So I'm really excited to see that episode in finished form, even in the animatic form. Um, I Like I said, I just went back and rewatched this a few days ago and I was surprised how you know, just how good it was and, uh, you know, how cool and exciting it is, even kind of a rough state. Um, and so I think once we see those episodes, you know, fully fleshed out, that could end up having a, a top a spot near the top of my list once it's all said and done. But um, even as it stands, I thought that one deserved an honorable mention. Um, I also wanted to mention the episode Friends and Enemies from season four. That's from the Reiko Hardeen arc. Um, mostly because I had to throw something in here with Cad Bane on it because he's uh, such an awesome bounty hunter character. Um, and I would say that's probably my favorite episode with him in it because not only do you get Obi-Wan uh, undercover as Reiko Hardeen, um, you know, interacting with Cad Bane and Moralo Evol and, you know, trying to keep his cover as a bounty hunter. And, uh, you know, that was just a really interesting story arc. But then at the end of it, um, Anakin and Ahsoka actually end up fighting with uh, Cad Bane and Reiko Hardeen. Um, and so there's a really, uh, you know, just intense conflict between Anakin and Obi-Wan there. And of course, Obi-Wan's, you know, inner turmoil of like not being able to tell Anakin who he is. And Anakin's you know, really angry at him because he thinks he killed Obi-Wan and all that kind of stuff. Um, so just a really fun mix of characters and storylines going on there. Um, and then my last one was A Necessary Bond, which is uh, the final episode of um, the the Younglings arc from season five, where Ahsoka is uh, training the Jedi Younglings and getting their lightsaber crystals and stuff. Um, and that whole story arc is really great. Um, I also, I, I kind of went back and forth between A Necessary Bond and the second episode of that arc, which is A Test of Strength, where they introduce uh, Huang, who's the like ancient Jedi droid who helps the the younglings build their lightsabers. Um, and he just has some moments of really cool sort of Jedi history and mythology um, in the first few minutes of that episode. But a necessary bond is so much fun because it just brings together all these elements. You have Ahsoka leading a group of Jedi younglings, including a baby Wookiee who, you know, who doesn't love that. Gunji um, is one of the best characters. Yeah. And then you team them up with Hondo Onaka uh, who also, and that's another reason why I included this as an honorable mention. I had to mention Hondo too, cause I love that guy. Um, you put this ragtag group of, you know, baby Jedi and pirates together, pit them against general Grievous and a whole army of battle droids. And how do they win by escaping in freaking slave one? Um, so just, that was such a fun episode. Um, and a conclusion to a really, uh, a really fun story arc. So, uh, those are my top three, uh, honorable mentions before we, uh, dive into the top five list. But, uh, what about you? Well, actually I had a couple of questions. Um, you mentioned the bad batch episode. Yeah. What did you think about them, uh, calling them the clone force 99 after 99? Oh, I mean, I love that callback um, because obviously, um, I mean, that's kind of where this idea, I think, originally stemmed from, you know, that 99 was uh, 
kind of a defective clone um, or, you know, that he had birth defects or whatever. And kind of just introducing this idea that even though the clones are all identical, that maybe the cloning process wasn't 100 percent perfect 100 percent of the time and that they could, you know, on occasion develop these abnormalities or whatever. Um, and so the whole concept of the Bad Batch is that they're kind of deformed clones like 99, except all of their defects just happen to be desirable traits that help make them better soldiers. Um, and so, you know, whether it's them having like increased senses or increased just size and brute strength or, uh, you know, increased like tactical abilities or aim or whatever it might be. Isn't one uh, uh, like the aging super old too? Yeah, there's one uh, crosshairs who's like the sniper on the team. He does look kind of older than the rest. Like he's got gray hair. Um, and again, it's hard to tell from like the rough animatic form that we see the episode in right now, if he actually is supposed to be like an old man or if he just has gray hair, because I mean, we've seen other clones that just dyed their hair gray or white or whatever. Um, but he definitely has that demeanor of being, you know, kind of quiet and reserved and like, doesn't put up with, you know, shenanigans and stuff and you know when the other clones are you know either arguing or goofing around or whatever he's like yo shut up let's get down to business i want to shoot some droids um but just the fact that um you know it kind of harkens back to uh 99 um and just sort of that idea of um you know clones that are different or don't you know sort of fit the mold of typical clone troopers i think it was uh kind of a nice touch to um first of all call them the bad batch which um i think is something that they referenced in those episodes too they absolutely um, they did in season three they did mention the bad batch or um rick calls domino squad a bad batch and say they, right. they should just be um sent to maintenance with 99 in the rest of the bad batches or whatever um, yeah, I do love I, that they flipped the script on that that uh, narrative that the things that are like quote unquote deformities or make them imperfect actually turn out to be strengths of mm -hmm. these clones of the Clone Force ninety nine where um, it just highlights and personifies something that Yoda says in the Forces of Destiny episode teach you i will where he says what makes you unique makes you uh strong and yourself you must always be to ahsoka when he's training her how to use uh the two lightsabers and i i i just kind of love that sentiment that basically the things that identify us uniquely are the things that we offer and no one else can and when we share those things um we're able to excel in succeed and kind of be something special do you know what i mean oh yeah absolutely yeah that's a great sentiment and i, lo I really look forward to that arc for that reason um for my honorable mentions i do want to um i'll just carry off of what you were talking about last with the um the youngling arc from season five um the episode the gathering which is the very first episode in that um arc which is where all of the younglings are going to ilum to get their crystals and it just introduced i think there's like five of them and each one is a different race um different genders and they're all unique but in all special in different ways 
Um, and then you have Ahsoka in a leadership role where she's kind of mentoring these kids and taking them on this epic field trip for them to to find their kyber crystals to form their first uh, lightsaber. I mean, this is kind of a epic momentum event for a youngling and a Padawan to reach the next level towards a Jedi. And this, I think, was kind of developed as a p- potential spin-off series. Um, and I think it could have been like a fantastic different kind of animation if it followed these five youngling um, characters. I mean, because there's a variety of different personalities in, in this group. And as you mentioned, Gunji, he's just completely lovable. And um, I, I really liked it. It's actually the first episode of the Clone Wars that I shared with um, Zoe the day she was born. I mean, of course, she's not really taking in a whole lot when she's <laughs> <laughs> barely awake more than 15 minutes. But um, kind of Clone Wars has been a part of her life. Um, ever since then and we've watched it a lot and she's always been able to identify like Star Wars music because of it because she's here she hears it so much hmm. but when she hears the beginning of the Clone Wars she kind of perks up and is like "Ooh, I want to watch this is something I'm interested in and it, it's something special um, where the youngling arc is kind of her gateway into Star Wars yeah, um, that's really cool because like because that arc is very there's not a lot of violence and um or anything like that that a, a little kid can't really watch the other honorable mentions i have is the fugitive episode from the fives arc in the lost missions and the last one is actually the rise of clovis it's the episode where we see clovis and padme in her bedroom where Clovis actually tries to kiss her, where he kisses her in kind of a unwanted way. And at the same time, you see Anakin walk into the door seeing Clovis kissing Padme, his wife. And then you see the jealousy of Anakin. I think that this is an important episode for understanding Anakin's fall and Anakin's relationship with Padme in the saga overall. Because you see kind of the anger and rage that lies beneath the surface in Anakin, and they kind of have an unhealthy relationship moment uh, in the, in that episode that's kind of insightful. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, definitely. And even um, at uh, Comic-Con when they did the 10th anniversary panel, I know uh, Dave Filoni and Matt Lanter talked about that episode, or that arc specifically, um, and how, you know kind of the idea that that stemmed from was just them wanting to um, sort of explore the idea of what Anakin and Padme's relationship would look like during the Clone Wars. Um, You know, because obviously in episode two, it's kind of this whirlwind romance. And then in episode three, like they're just so happy to see each other because they haven't seen each other in so long because he's been away fighting and everything. Um, But then just to explore the idea that like, yeah, they don't have a, a perfect life or a perfect marriage. I mean, they're both very busy doing their own thing. I mean, there's this huge galactic war going on. They're both under a lot of stress and pressure and they don't get to see each other a lot. Like they're going to have far from a perfect, like functional marriage. Um, 
And so, yeah, I think that was just a good layer to add to both of those characters and to their relationship dynamic um, to just kind of go a little bit deeper and explore that. Um, What is your number five uh, for your top five? All right. So kicking off my top five, I have Night Sisters, um, which is, uh, (laughs) yeah, the, the first episode of um you know that night sister night sisters trilogy from season three um i just have such cool memory of going to see this on the big screen um this was like the first series of clone wars episodes that they did a theatrical screening for um hyping up you know the whole savage press and kicking off the return of darth maul and all that kind of stuff um and i mean i love that whole story arc uh, but Night Sisters in particular just has so many cool things to it that I really like. Um, I mean, from the opening space battle that is sort of reminiscent of Revenge of the Sith, but I also loved getting to see like Ventress's uh, Starfighter in action. And I think part of the reason I love this episode so much is I was a big fan of the Clone Wars even before this series started. Um, I had seen like the Clone Wars micro series and read some of the comics and the novels and stuff that came out like back during that period in between episode two and episode three. Um, and so before this show ever aired, um, the Clone Wars was already like one of my favorite era, one of my favorite eras of, uh, the Star Wars timeline. Um, and Asajj Ventress was probably like my favorite expanded universe character. Um, and so to see her, you know, sort of brought to life in this new animation that was being, um, you know, having the stories directly coming from George Lucas and stuff. I thought it was really cool just to have her involved in the series at all. But this was the first episode that really kind of delved into her character, um, kind of put her front and center. And then it has the really cool scene where uh, as Mother Talzin is restoring her, you kind of see the flashbacks to her past. And even though this show... uh, uh, sort of changed what had been previously previously established in the expanded universe um, by making her a night sister, whereas before I think she was from uh, Rat Attack or something like that. Um, so I mean, the, this show put its own spin on it, and you know George Lucas wanted to do some different things, but her origin story is very much the same mm-hmm. um, as far as being from you know growing up on a war torn planet with you know slavers and war masters and stuff, and being taken in by this Jedi. Um, who trains her as a Padawan, and they start kind of bringing peace to this anarchist world um, and, you know, kind of working to to stop all this violence and bloodshed and stuff that's going on. But then her master gets killed while she's still young and before her training can be fully complete, and she kind of just goes off the deep end. Um, you know, she's power, she's she's old enough and has learned enough from him that she's very powerful, but her training isn't far enough along that like without him she she can't really control that and deal with all the anger and grief that she's going through now um and so again as someone who was like already a big fan of the character it was so cool to see that sort of like officially brought into the canon um and to see uh this backstory that i had uh you know read in comics and stuff see that fleshed out on the not well actually yeah on the big screen uh when i saw it for the first time so that was really cool um and then, of course, you know, going back to the beginning, I mean, she has the lightsaber duel with Anakin and Obi-Wan that was a lot of fun. Um, and then just even also seeing Dathomir for the first time and uh, introducing Mother Talzin and, uh, <clears throat> you know, the Dathomir witches are also something that, uh, you know, has had long been part of uh, the expanded universe and, and stuff like that. So um, bringing them into the official canon was cool. Um, and then, of course, to cap it all off, you've got a really cool finale with 
three invisible Night Sisters having a lightsaber duel with Count Dooku in his pajamas and blinded, and he still manages to kick their butts. You like those um, silk pajamas, don't you? Oh, I love those silk pajamas. I wish I could close my eyes and, you know, fight off three people with a lightsaber looking good in silk pajamas. Um, so, yeah, I mean, just so many cool assets or cool uh, elements to this episode, I thought. Um, it was one that really sort of uh, built up the lore a lot <clears throat> and introduced a lot of cool new story elements, a lot of cool new characters, and had a lot of uh, really cool action scenes on top of it. So that's Venture, my number five. Ventress's uh, Starfighter was pulled in from the Gendy Tartakovsky uh, series, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that's why, I mean, I loved getting to see that thing in action at the beginning. My one... One of my uh, personal little pet peeves about this Clone Wars series is Anakin's Jedi Starfighter that he has in the micro series um, is cooler. one of my it's one of my favorite ships in all of Star Wars. Like it's kind of my personal favorite. Like I can't really say I like it more than like the classic X-Wing or the Millennium Falcon. But I like to say that one's my favorite because I know it's not the one that everybody else is going to pick. Um I mean, that is just such a cool ship design, and I like the idea that he took the standard Jedi Starfighter and tinkered with it and modified it because he's Anakin and that's what he does, and he was racing, you know, building his own pod racer when he was nine years old. Um, it's kind of like the Naboo N1 Starfighter. Um, when they designed that, they were using hood ornaments, I believe, and instead of um, drawing them forward, they flipped them around and did it backwards so that the end was in the front and the front was in the end. Um, and it just gave them a unique um, look. And I think that that's kind of similar to what uh, Anakin does on that uh, Starfighter is he puts the engines in the front going forward. Do you know what mm -hmm. I mean? Yeah, yeah. And he definitely, yeah, he, he tricked that thing out, man. I mean, he put, like, extra laser cannons on it and, yeah, like, those big turbo engines that stick out on the front. Um, and it's got fins on it and everything. I mean, I just thought it was so cool. So I wish that they had included that ship in uh, this Clone Wars series as well. Um, but I don't know. I guess George wasn't that big of a fan of it. But um, it was really cool to see uh, at least Ventress's uh, Starfighter make the jump over. I love that they pulled in Mother Talzin and how she is was one of the other uh, – she was one of the other options for Darth Maul when mm -hmm. they were trying to design Darth Maul. Yeah. She, her voice is just so eerie in that episode. It, it, it's a really good episode. Yeah, for sure. My number five. Um, some people might think that this deserves to be a lot higher, um, but because of the characters, I – it only ends up my number five. It's the carnage of Krell. Um, I love the Domino Squad, and it's the first arc of the Clone Wars that we've really dug in too deeply um, because I care about Five so much um, and what he does and how he sees the Clone Wars through his eyes and what that impacts um the rest of the saga. I, I really, really appreciate Fives, but um, there are a couple other characters that mean a little bit more to me, um, so that's why the Carnage of Krell is my number five. I, I love this episode. It's... it's To, to, to hear the betrayal uh, when they realize that Pong Krell really is just a bad dude, 
on top of using their alphanumeric designations and taking out their humanity, he's also leading them to battle to kill themselves. Like, it's just the betrayal that you hear in their voices is just heartbreaking. And it's just one of the best episodes of this series. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, Again, so many cool action moments, so many cool sort of heroic moments for the clones, and then also so many just tragic moments. I mean, that moment when you realize that the two armies are, are, it's two armies of clones fighting each other, because Krell set it up for them to be like, um, he's like, oh, watch out, the Umbarans have been stealing clone armor, and so go out there, like, don't hesitate, don't show mercy, like, it's not clones, they're Umbarans, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and they're going to try to ambush you or whatever, so they go out and they start getting shot at, they start firing back, um, and I remember watching it for the first time, and I was kind of holding my breath. I was like, what's going on here? Like, are these really Umbarans? And as soon as you saw the guys that they were fighting against, and I saw the uh, like the orange markings on their armor, I think I immediately went, oh, crap, those are Obi-Wan's clones. Like, And I realized that, you know, that Krell had pit them against each other. And once they realize it and they stop the fighting and uh, the death scene of Waxer, who is one of my favorite clones because of his connection with uh, Numa, the little Twilight girl that he rescued. And then we see him, you know, a couple more times throughout the show and he has her face painted on his helmet. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I mean, I love that stuff with the clones where like, even though a, a particular clone trooper like Waxer, I mean, we, he was in maybe three episodes throughout the entire show. Um, you know, three or four or something like that. It's not like we spent a ton of time with the guy or really got to know his character, but just when you have little emotional connections like that, it makes you care about them that much more. Um, and just seeing him sitting there wounded, you know, dying from this betrayal that Krell orchestrated and seeing uh, Numa's face still painted on his helmet was just one of those gut punch moments for me where I was like, oh man, you guys are killing my feels right now. The art department of the Clone Wars did a, a great thing in identifying the quote-unquote hero clones, where each mm-hmm. clone that actually they spend time investing in and building a story arc up around, they give them a unique design visually, either in the type of armor that they wear or the color of armor, um, specific markings, tattoos, haircuts, there's a ton of options that they do sort of like the Nima painting on his helmet or the, like it's easy to identify who Waxer is. It's easy to identify who Fives is. It's easy to identify who Rex is. Like once you start learning what the key indicators are, all the hero clones are pretty easy to identify on one in, on some level, even, mm-hmm. even when they're all clones. So I really appreciate that in that in that episode. Yeah, I thought that was really cool. Um, and then, of course, when they go to uh, you know arrest Krell at the end, um, I mean, it's one of those iconic shots from the Clone Wars that you remember even like seeing in a trailer for the first time. Um, just that shot of all of them sort of marching forward and Rex putting his helmet on, um, and man, it just gives you chills because it's sort of foreshadowing order 66 but i don't know what your thoughts are on this but i remember just sort of the whole idea of um the way that storyline resolved with the clones 
you know, they realize Krell has betrayed them. They kind of Rex decides to kind of take matters into their own, into his own hands. He's like, all right, you know what? I know we're supposed to follow orders, but like we got to break orders and and put an end to this guy because um, he is, you know, trying to get us killed. He's way out of line. Um, and so I was like, I mean, I, again, the just the image of all the clones marching uh, to go arrest Krell and the fact that a clone ends up killing a Jedi general is clearly like sort of foreshadowing order 66. But then at the same time, the idea that the whole reason they did that, it's not because they were programmed to, or because Palpatine told them to, but it was them basically breaking orders. Um, I thought that also maybe foreshadowed like, well, does that mean that when order 66 comes down, like maybe some of the clones aren't going to go with it because we're seeing that they have the capacity to kill a Jedi, but we're also seeing that they have the capacity to disobey orders when they think they're wrong. And order 66 kind of like falls into both of those camps. And so I wasn't really sure what angle they were going for there, but I thought it was, you know, a very interesting sort of indicator uh, one way or the other. Well, I mean, it goes back to five speech when they're being court-martialed for disobeying orders. His whole speech is that we are men, we are not droids, we have free will. We can decide when to follow orders, when orders are um, ethical. Like, if, if an order isn't the right thing to do, as a, as a man, we can choose not to do that unless they have the Protocol 66 chip. Um, mm-hmm. is firing where they have to follow this order that kind of turns them back into droids that goes into the Protocol 66 arc. Like, the the free will is supposed to what makes the clone army superior to the droid army. On top of their ability to learn things, they have a capability of morality that droids just don't have. And so... I think that this is a great arc because it actually does show the morality and potential of what the clones have. I think it's hilarious that the person that actually kills Pong Krell is the one that's called Dogma, and he's the one that's all about following rules, and he's kind of the worst of the batch because he was he bought into Pong Krell, and he was mm-hmm. all gung-ho for actually following those orders when it's actually killing other clones so it's just a great great arc um and it kind of unpacks so much of the of the clone wars and star wars in general okay yeah definitely and i just have to say this is one of those ones that I think I had this initially at like number three on my list or something. And then when I saw you already had it on yours, I was like, okay, I'll, I'll challenge myself and, you know, pick a different episode and I'll just chime in on that one when Brian mentions it. Okay. What is your number four? So, uh, going back to what you were sort of your poll question earlier about the Mortis trilogy, uh, my number four is going to be overlords. Um, so yeah, that's my favorite episode of the, the Mortis arc. Um, and again, I mean, just going back to what you said earlier, just the introduction of this sort of wild new corner of the Star Wars mythology. Um, I mean, just the, it it was just so new and so different and so, uh, just cool and interesting and kind of mind boggling. Um, but I mean, the visuals were 
just really cool and really striking. Um, I love that we finally got something that sort of explored the mythology of uh, the prophecy of Anakin being the chosen one. Um, and it's just a really different type of Star Wars story. I mean, the fact that even for this whole Mortis trilogy, like they, it all takes place on Mortis. And then when Anakin and Obi-Wan and Ahsoka like leave at the end, uh, Rex is like, oh, you guys blipped off our scanners for a second and now you're back. And he's like, what are you talking about? We've been gone for, you know, days or however long they were there. Um, and so it kind of leaves you with questions of, you know, did this really happen? Was it all kind of like metaphorical? Was it, um, were they having a vision through the force? Were they in a physical place? Were they in some sort of force, uh, you know, ethereal plane or something like that? Um, so I just love that it raised all these questions and that it, um, didn't give you all the answers and it wasn't necessarily a cliffhanger like oh you'll have to wait to find out but it just kind of gave you a lot to chew on and it was not so much about the answers and more about like one of those like more about the journey than the destination kind of things yeah um and you can kind of come to your own conclusions about it and decide if you really think it's all that important or not in the overall uh you know in in the overall storyline and where things end up but uh regardless it gave us um, just, you know, like I said, some really cool visuals, some really cool character moments, um, some really cool, uh, just new characters with the father, the son and the daughter. And, um, just, you know, the introduction of these beings who are so powerful in the forest that they've essentially quarantined themselves. And the father is just sort of keeping balance between the light and the dark side that are represented by his two children. What is it that you want from me? To learn the truth about who you really are. One that maybe you have known all along. One you must believe in order to fulfill your destiny. Enough with the riddles, old man. Tell me what's going on here. As you can see, there is nowhere else to go. It is late. You will be my guest tonight. Cannot sleep? To strike an unarmed man is hardly the Jedi way. You're a Sith Lord. You have a very simple view of the universe. I am neither Sith nor Jedi. I am much more. And so are you. I see through your spells and visions, old man. Tell me what is going on here. Some call us force wielders. The Jedi have never spoken of this. Hmm. Few still know of our existence. In that room, my mother came to me, but it was not her. 
It was something else. Ah. My son, I suspect. We can take many forms. The shapes we embody are merely a reflection of the life force around us. You carry a great sadness in your heart. My children and I can manipulate the force like no other. Therefore, it was necessary to withdraw from the temporal world and live here as anchorites. As a sanctuary? And a prison. You cannot imagine what pain it is to have such love for your children and realize that they could tear the very fabric of our universe. I don't understand. It is only here that I can control them. A family in balance, the light and the dark. Day with night. Destruction replaced by creation. Then why reveal yourselves to us? There are some who would like to exploit our power. The Sith are but one. Too much dark or light would be the undoing of life as you understand it. When news reached me that the Chosen One had been found, I needed to see for myself. The Chosen One is a myth. Is it? I should very much like to know. Why don't we find out together? Pass one test, and I shall know the truth. Then, you and your friends may leave. Um, you know, and again, it's like how much of this is really physically happening, how much of it is just sort of a representation of what's going on in the galaxy at large with, you know, the force trying to maintain in balance between the light and the dark and, um, you know, all the turmoil caused by the Clone Wars and all that kind of stuff. So, um, and I mean, I don't know. I don't even necessarily have my own personal theories on it. I just more kind of try to analyze it as I go and, and just um, sort of enjoy the ride when I watch those episodes um, and try to, you know, just pick up on little subtle things. Um, but I mean, I, I love just sort of some of the subtext that's in there because again, there are some moments where you can tell like, oh, I wonder if that's supposed to be like symbolic of this thing that happened in the movies or something like that. Um, and I, I really love Sam Whitmer's performance as the son too. Um, because he talked about the sort of intentional thing he did with his voice where, um, he would kind of in at different parts, like embody different characters, mm -hmm. um, from the movies where, you know, he'll say things where you can detect a little bit of Sidious or a little bit of Vader in his voice or something like that. So, right. um, yeah, it's just this you know, this crazy ride that's filled with uh, a lot of really interesting stuff that you can dive into. So um, that's why I love that one. So I have a theory to share and then a question. The question is pretty much a second theory. But the first theory I have is that the son and the daughter created the world between worlds, which is what uh, inspired the father to retreat to Mortis and to leave... Hmm. Um, the normal world um, because the father says that they created something that could rip the very fabric of the galaxy um, oh you're right and uh, I think that that would be something that they would do which is why there's a mural on the temple and okay so that my that's my theory is that the son and the daughter created the world between worlds and then the question is which leads to another theory Who's the mother of Mortis? 
Well, I, I don't know if you know the story. So that's something that actually I think actually was explored in the Legends canon. Um, there's a character named Abeloth in books it, it one of like the new jedi or, or like legacy of the force or whatever the sort of the last book series was um that they sort of tied back into that and i think it was after the mortis episodes had aired and they decided to kind of do more with that mythology and so there's this character named abeloth who is essentially was the mother of mortis but she became kind of corrupted and uh, so twisted by and, and like too powerful and so the father and the son and the daughter had to like exile her somewhere um, which is why she's not there in these episodes but then she comes back like years later to haunt Luke Skywalker and stuff like that I haven't actually read the book but I um, I mean I've seen videos about it and read about it online and stuff so um, and again I mean that's from the Legends canon so I don't know if that's uh, considered canon at this point but they did you know, to some degree, answer that. I think Mother Talzin could be the mother of Mortis. That would be interesting. But I kind of see her as doing her own separate thing. I don't know if she's on the same level as those three. All right. that, that's fair. I mean, it's, she's definitely apart from that whole thing i mean the daughter creates life and the son destroys life on mortis the entire Mm -hmm. time so like there's a cycle um of creation and and destruction i think that is very interesting i I think that the mother talzin could be the mother of mortis because she is kind of a darker character and i think that the mother of mortis would be a darker character because of just for balance it's just a theory. So uh, what's your number four? My number four is Brothers, the reintroduction of Darth Maul, one of my favorite characters in the Clone Wars. Sam Witwer gave us uh, so many gifts in this episode. The depths of torture and dementedness that he experiences as spider Maul is amazing. <laughs> um he is a he is a tortured soul in this episode and it's it's delicious this is where you live how long have you been here years and years and years through victory my chains have broken the chains the chains are the easy part it's what goes on in here that's hard you have been lost, my brother. Do you remember who you are? Where you came from? Always remember I am fear. Always remember I am hunter. Always remember I am filth. Always remember I am nothing. Your legs. That scum. He took them from me. He took them. Who, who took them? Jedi. Jedi. You remember the mercy, master. Mercy is a lie, a delusion of the weak to think themselves strong. I ask not for mercy. What? what is it, brother? What are you saying? Through the filth, through the grief, Jedi. Revenge. 
I must have revenge. He's basically reciting the Sith code and mm -hmm. just kind of you can tell that he's driven by rage and hate and revenge t towards Kenobi the entire time, but at the same time he's tormented by what his Sith training was. And Sam has described this as basically a glimpse of the mind of a Sith, what's going on beneath the surface. So like, this is the torment that's going on in their minds the entire time. You just don't typically see it because they're keeping everything together. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a cool one. And I mean, I think probably my favorite part of the episode was, like you mentioned, when he's quoting the Sith code, um, just because I thought that was a really cool little Easter egg in there. Um, but then I also love the Easter egg in the callback to the Mortis trilogy where he's quoting the Sith code and he says, uh, through victory or through power, I gain victory through victory. My chains are broken. Um, and then he goes, the chains, the chains are the easy part. It's what goes on in here. That's hard, which is a quote from the sun when he is, uh, disguised as like the little gremlin creature that's keeping Ahsoka hostage in the second episode of that, uh, the Mortis arc. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. Oh, that's a good one. And, and it gave us the, uh, reintroduction of Maul, which they did so much with Maul in the Clone Wars. I'm very, very grateful. I was um, 23 and 99 when The Phantom Menace came out, and my heart was just all about Maul that year. Um, I thought that Maul was going to be the big bad for the prequel trilogy, and I can't tell you how hard my heart broke at the end of that <laughs> <laughs> at the end of that movie when Maul got killed I was like how do you have such a perfect character and kill him off in the first movie um, so I was so happy when they brought Maul back yeah see it was interesting because for me when I first heard they were bringing Maul back I was very hesitant and very skeptical um, and just because in general I'm, I'm not a fan of stories where they kill off a character and then they're like, oh, let's bring them back and, you know, tell more stories because, like, we decided we're not done yet. It's like, well, then why did you kill them off in the first place? And I know they do that in comic books all the time, but, I mean, I've never been, like, a huge comic book fan. Um, and especially just in movies and TV shows and stuff, I feel like it kind of cheapens the impact of that first death if you're just going to be like, oh, well, actually, they didn't really die or they we cloned them or we brought them back from the dead or whatever. Um and even on Clone Wars, when they introduced Savajo Press and, you know, we found out he's Maul's brother and he's the same race, but, you know, and it's going to be a similar kind of dark side warrior. Um, but instead of kind of like the ninja assassin type guy like Maul was, he's going to be like this big brute instead. I was like, oh, cool. So we'll get kind of a different take on the character. But at the same time, this is kind of like George Lucas's apology for killing off Maul too soon for all the people that wanted to see more of him. Like I thought Savage Press was basically going to be like our, our replacement, you know, our way to get more Darth Maul. And then it's like, oh no, we're actually bringing Darth Maul back too. And at first I was like, huh? Like, do we really need that? Is that really a good idea? But they pulled it off so well um, to the point that now, like there's no question in my mind that that was a good idea. And I mean, every episode with Maul in it is up there among, you know, my favorite episodes of the series. So, uh, yeah, more Maul is never a bad thing.
Sam is so good at portraying him. Like, he gives so much more depth to Maul. Like, Maul was kind of one note in The Phantom Menace. Um, but The Clone Wars has just fleshed that out on a much deeper level. What was your number three? So my number three is Voices, which is the first episode of the Yoda arc from The Lost mm-hmm. Missions. Um, and again, I mean, that whole arc is is really good. Um, obviously, in the last episode, you got him talking to Darth Bane and fighting Darth Sidious and all this kind of stuff. But I love Voices because... Um, I mean, it's the first time we see him go to Dagobah, the first time he communes with Qui-Gon Jinn. And I love the idea that we're seeing Yoda, who is the and basically the ultimate kind of wise master in all of Star Wars. And even, you know, is one of the great sort of uh, wise mentor figures like in movie history. Right. Like, I mean, people quote Yoda all the time and he's, uh, you know, just one of those characters that you think of as um kind of having all the answers and and giving those really wise, you know, bits of information and and bits of wisdom and life lessons and that sort of thing. Um, And so the fact that we see Yoda learning so much in this whole arc, but I think really in this first episode, I mean, it's Qui-Gon who first sort of opens his mind to this new knowledge and this new side of the Force. And there's just something magical about that scene where he arrives on Dagobah and obviously Qui-Gon, you know, was sort of the first to discover this knowledge of uh, the Jedi being able to sort of become one with the Force and preserve their identity after death and, you know, not just sort of spread out and, like, become one with the Force and just, uh, you know, they're they're gone and they're now part of the Cosmic Force or whatever, but to be able to come back as a Force ghost is essentially and, and still commune with people and stuff like that. Um he was the first one to discover that, but it's like his training wasn't completed or whatever, so he can't come back as a full-fledged Force ghost. Mm-hmm. And so you have him leading Yoda through Dagobah just as sort of this wispy, ethereal like cloud of floating lights. Um, and just the the visual of it and seeing Yoda again you know sort of traveling through Dagobah for the first time following these magical lights while the voice of Qui-Gon Jinn played by Liam Neeson is teaching him new things about the force is one of my favorite Star Wars moments ever here I am ready for my next instruction Master Qui-Gon Yoda my old friend, you have come at last. Qui-Gon Jinn, really you? It is? It is. Losing my mind, I am not? No, my friend, no. Why have you brought me here? Follow the light. The light will be your guide. planet is with the force it is one of the purest places in the galaxy how are you here i am a manifestation of the force 
a force that consists of two parts. Living beings generate the living force, which in turn powers the wellspring that is the cosmic force. Show yourself. Can you? I cannot. My training was incomplete. All energy from the living force, from all things that have ever lived, feeds into the cosmic force, binding everything and communicating to us through the midichlorians. Because of this, I can speak to you now. See the future. You can. I exist where there is no future or past. Know you. Who the Sith Lord is. I can only show you a place where the answers will be revealed to you. It's, you know, just so cool. Again, kind of establishing where he ends up eventually in Empire Strikes Back. I mean, there's something kind of cool about seeing him just discover that place for the first time. Um, but also just, you know, again, like I said, Yoda being sort of the ultimate wise Jedi master, um, seeing him learning new things about the force that he hadn't learned in his previous 900 years of existence. It's like, Oh, who would have thought that we'd get to see that, but it's really cool. And I'm glad we did. So, um, yeah, I thought that was just a great, uh, a great start to what ends up being, um, one of the greatest story arcs in all of Clone Wars. But, um, in particular, you know, just some of those scenes I mentioned, I think are what make this one stand out above the rest of them for me. I, I love that. I love so many things about this episode. Um, I love that Yoda thinks that he's kind of a little crazy because he's hearing voices from Qui-Gon Jinn in his meditation. Um, and he's kind of, he, he's really unsure of this to the point where he asks the Jedi Council to meditate with him to see if any of them can hear Qui-Gon uh, to prove that he's not a little crazy. Um, uh-huh. He's very skeptical of this uh, experience where he's hearing Qui-Gon Jinn, somebody that he knows is that died and moved on, yet he's actually communicating with them. And then he goes to, to Dagobah and he goes into the Force Tree where Luke has his vision with Darth Vader and then he has his own vision of what's going to happen with Order 66 and how the Jedi are gonna fight and die and he gets a vision of Sidious and he gets a name of Sidious but he doesn't know who that is and so it leads him to another uh, another leg of his mission to find out more information the the Yoda arc is so amazing because it's like one of the first things that gives us solid canon lore on the relationship between the living force and the cosmic force Qui-Gon Jinn kind of expels that out a lot when he's the floating fireflies, as I call them. Um, and that's kind of amazing. And then, oh, I, I, just, I just love this arc so much. And it's this arc where I f- think I finally realized Yoda in the prequels is not Yoda in the original trilogy. And I expected Yoda in the prequel trilogy to be Yoda in Empire Strikes Back and he is not that character at all um and I didn't really realize it until I saw this 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 arc in the Clone Wars and it just kind of opened things up for me on a whole new level and I really love it yeah and I think in this arc you see him sort of come closer to that um, you know, you see prequel Yoda learning the lessons that are going to kind of shape him as Empire Yoda. Yep. And I think you learn those lessons in my number three. 
<laughs> which is Destiny, the second episode of this arc. Um, this is the episode where Yoda goes to the Force planet, um, as I call it. It basically is the origin of uh, the living force. Like, the living force is just kind of a beaming out of this planet. Um, it's very lively it feels like pollen is everywhere (laughs) on this planet Mm -hmm. um and this is the planet where he encounters the force priestesses uh played by jamie king where there's like five different uh personalities and they represent different emotions different um relationships with the force he's told to go to this place to learn more about becoming one with the force. And he kind of has to prove himself to be worthy of this training. He's kind of arrogant, even in this moment. This I know. Come with me. At death, in order for you to preserve your identity, you must know yourself, your true self. And then, let go. On that island dwells all that remains unconquered. What in your existence some call evil, otherwise known as fear. All which must be finally overcome before the journey can be taken. Free yourself, you must. A Jedi Master, I am. Know all that dwells within, I do. Mastered my weaknesses and conquered my fears. I have. Have you? You must face your evil on that island and defeat it. But then he goes and he's faced with his Sith hubris, um, his evil hubris. And it is amazing. you not <laughs> see not what is inside you dear. I choose not to give you power and yet you spend your days in the decadence of war and with that I grow inside you know your true self face me now or I will devour you
part of me, you are not. Part of you, I am. Part of all that lives. Why do you hate what gives you power? Yoda thinks me not worthy. <laughs> Recognize you, I do. Part of me you are. Yes. The power over me you have not. Through patience and training. It is I who control you. Control over me. You have not. My dark side, you are. Reject you, I do. You see like a little evil Yoda and mm -hmm. I just I love it so much and he doesn't realize how war has corrupted him and how fighting all of these years in the Clone Wars has fed the e evil hubris um, and it's just amazing and instead of fighting with it he accepts it and pulls it into himself and that's the moment I think where he actually finds peace and balance is I think that the oh I, I love this episode so much. I think that the Jedi have a choice like every force user has a choice. You can either encourage selflessness or you can encourage selfishness. So you you have the capability of being a Jedi or a Sith. And so you have both sides in in you. It's just a matter of which one of those you're going to feed. But to feed one, you also have to accept the other. Um, mm -hmm. And so I, I, I think that it's, it's so deep and so applicable to, to life. I mean, we, we make mistakes, but um, trying to move forward and to make better choices in, in the future is kind of how we get on a better path. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Sorry, I went on a rant there because I. Love oh it. no, I mean it's it's totally applicable. I mean, the kind of stuff you're saying. I mean, I don't know. I'm sure you've heard some of these interviews and stuff too. But I mean, that's straight out of the mouth of Dave Filoni, um, and he was talking about this at the the uh, 10 year anniversary panel. But he said this in a lot of other interviews and stuff before too. That one lesson that he really learned from George Lucas is just like what you were saying that essentially what the light side and the dark side boils down to is selflessness versus selfishness. You know, you have this power, you can use it to help people or to help yourself. Um, and that even, you know, in, in everyday life, we make those same kind of decisions, you know, we don't have force power within ourselves necessarily. And we're not, you know, these heroic Jedi out doing things, but, um, you know, just even in the little decisions you make on a day to day basis, you can choose to be selfish or selfless. And that's essentially the difference between the light and the dark side. 
Well, like in the Overlords episode of the Mortis Arc, the very first uh, fortune cookie is balance is found in one who faces his own guilt. Um, and I think that that's what Yoda does in the Destiny episode is he faces his own guilt. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he sees a force vision of um, all the Jedi that have died around the force tree in the Jedi temple. And this is, in a way, it could be like a euphoric, this is my heaven, because these are all friends that I care about all in one place. And he has Dooku there, who is his Padawan, who I'm sure he cares about deeply um, on some level, or at least he used to. But he's there with other Jedi that he's trained, like Qui-Gon and... um, he sees other younglings and it could be like this is a temptation for Yoda that this is a good place that you should be instead of actually being in in dealing with reality that Dooku has become a Sith like and Yoda is wise enough to realize this is not true Mm -hmm. so I I love Destiny so much (laughs) yeah it's one of my favorites. It's my number three. Yeah, that whole Yoda arc is, is just so good. Um, but were you done talking about that one? Absolutely. All right. Well, I will move on to my number two then, which is Citadel Rescue, um, which is the the finale of the Citadel arc from um, season three. And what I love about this one is, um, it's not necessarily, you know, the most epic. I mean, Darth Maul's not in it, and, you know, it's not one of those uh, big episodes that, you know, people normally go to. But I love this one just because it has so many little things going for it that I love. I mean, it's, if I were to point to one Clone Wars episode that is sort of, that sort of encapsulates everything that I love about the Clone Wars— this is probably the closest one for me to to just having a little bit of everything. I mean, the only thing it's missing is like a lightsaber duel between Anakin and Ventress or Obi-Wan and Grievous or something like that. Um, but you have Jedi action. You have clone trooper action. You have, uh, you know, somber moments of loss. You have some lighthearted uh, jokes and stuff like that. You have some... Uh, you know, deep character building moments. Um, you have callbacks to the original trilogy with the relationship between Anakin and Tarkin mm-hmm. um, and getting to see, you know, him in his younger days in the Clone Wars. Um, you got a cool space battle at the end when the Republic comes to to bail them out and evacuate them off the planet. Um, even got the little moment that I love where uh, they're fighting like the, uh, the Separatist crab droids that are coming at them and Commander Cody in the background of one scene like jumps up on top of one and guns it down from the top just like there's a clone trooper that does the same thing in Revenge of the Sith. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's chock full of um, just of action moments, of character moments, of Easter eggs, of uh, just sort of intense, fast-paced storytelling as they're, um, you know, trying to make their final escape from uh, the Citadel prison. Um you know, of course, they lose uh, Master Evan Peel along the way, and he, you know, entrusts Ahsoka with the uh, the secret information that he had, which was why they came to bail him out in the first place. Um, and so that's sort of a big burden on her shoulders. And, you know, we see kind of a, a good moment of growth for her character. 
Um, again, the Anakin and Tarkin relationship, I think, is really cool, just kind of foreshadowing uh, their eventual relationship as Anakin and Vader. There's a moment at the end of the episode when they're all safely back on Coruscant and um, Tarkin is kind of squabbling with the Jedi Council because in in general, he doesn't really like the Jedi all that much and they don't really like him. I mean, they're both very good at what they do, but they have kind of different ideologies um, and he's not really a fan of the Jedi, but he and Anakin have kind of come to respect each other over the course of these episodes. And so after he's sort of concluded his business with Yoda and the rest of the Jedi, he turns to Anakin um, and he says, a job well done, General Skywalker, and they shake hands. And the shot is, just, it's a close up on their hands shaking and it plays like three notes of the Imperial March. And I get chills every time I watch that. <laughs> it's just so beautifully executed. Um and then again, I mean, I, I mentioned this briefly, but the space battle at the end, and it's a short one. And I, that's one thing that I kind of lament about the Clone Wars is that we never really got like a big epic space battle, like Battle of Endor scale that like just lasted for an entire episode. I really wanted to see that. Um, the Gendy series did a lot of the space battles that I wish yes. the Clone Wars did a little bit more of. Yeah, same here. Um, but I mean, the, the short bit that we do get at the end, I mean, you get like Plo Koon and Adi Gallia and I think it's, uh, Sacy Tin and Kit Fisto, like all in Jedi starfighters leading squads of arc one seventies through this blockade and stuff. Um, you know, and even down on the planet, you know, it's just cool action moments for Anakin and for Obi-Wan as they're fighting off these droids that are coming after him and these, uh, the Anuba, uh, like dog like creatures and stuff. There's a moment where, um, Anakin is, you know, there's a, a droid coming at him on a stat bike and shooting at him and Anakin is doing all these backflips and stuff. And then he like deflects the droids or I think Rex actually shoots the bike down and Anakin just kind of gracefully like does a backflip and lands on this cliff, like with his lightsaber out beside him as this thing goes crashing down behind him. And it's just such a cool, like, you know, it's almost like Deadpool where it's like, he's going to do a superhero landing. <laughs> um, just a really cool moment for him. So, um, yeah, this is this is an episode that I think when I watched it for the first time, like at the time, this was the end of season three. Like this was my favorite episode of Clone Wars up to that point, um, just because, again, it's not the most like emotionally impactful or the one that has sort of the biggest ramifications for the series as far as like, you know, introducing new characters or anything like that. But it's just it's fun. It's action packed. And it has just a lot of really cool little moments that I love. So that's my number two. I think I heard on Fothentic's History, which is Brian Young and Holly Fry's um, fake history podcast, that um, Anakin actually is replacing Master Peel's seat in Revenge of the Sith, which I was not aware of. So I thought that that was an interesting nugget of information from the Citadel arc. Oh, um, yeah, that would make sense. The um, that's an interesting episode. Um, I, I I do like that. Uh, in that series, Ahsoka is kind of a contrast to the um clones in following orders because Ahsoka disobeys orders a lot in that in that arc. Mm -hmm. So, um, which she learned from Anakin, of course. Of course, they don't always play things by the book. But it's the method in which you don't play by the book <laughs> is that what matters. 
you don't ask for permission most of the time. You just do it and ask for forgiveness. <laughs> exactly. My number two is a pretty heavy episode. It's the wrong Jedi when Ahsoka leaves the Jedi Order. Um, this is a fantastic arc in episode or in season five, and it was the finale of season five. And so many people cried at the end of this episode because Ahsoka had become a beloved character. Like her or, her origins were not a testament to where she would end, and she is one of the the most beloved characters through the series and seeing her leave the Jedi order and the weight of that decision is so powerful and the music is so beautiful. Kevin Kiner kind of knocked it out of the park on that episode. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I will say just a little footnote. Um, like I said, I was trying to pick some different episodes for my list just so you and I wouldn't be talking about the same things <laughs> and just and parroting each other. In all honesty, my top two episodes are the same as yours. Oh, really? Um, so I had to pick a different top two episodes, yeah. Um, are they in the same order? Yes, in the same order. Oh, okay. Um, but, man, I mean, yeah, The Last Jedi is just – or sorry, not The Last Jedi, The Wrong Jedi uh, is just such an emotional gut punch. Um and that moment when Ahsoka walks away, I mean, it's it's sad and it's heart wrenching, but it's so beautifully done. Mm -hmm. um, and like you said, the music is just fantastic. And the visuals of that scene when, you know, Anakin follows her outside and they're talking outside the Jedi Temple um, with the sun setting on Coruscant um, and just the way that whole thing was set up, um, just so beautifully done. Um and I mean, the thing that made it even more heartbreaking for me at the time, and I'm so glad that Clone Wars is coming back and that we're finally getting like a proper conclusion to the series after all these years. But at the time, so when the, when this episode first aired, we didn't know yet that it was going to be the last episode of Clone Wars it for the time being. That Well, it, it, the cancellation was announced like a couple weeks after. Oh. Um, and so watching the episode for the first time, I was just like, man, that's really sad. Like, you know, Ahsoka walking away and they, they did this whole emotion thing and everything um and then watching it again after finding out that the show was canceled the moment when she's standing in front of the jedi council and they tell her she can come back into the order and then anakin uh holds his hand out with her padawan braid and says you know they're asking you back ahsoka you know i'm asking you back and she kind of has that moment of pause and she reaches for his hand and instead of taking the braid she closes his hand and says i'm sorry master i'm not coming back after the show got canceled, I mean, that just it hurt so much more because if I could almost hear like Dave Filoni and the crew like speaking through that saying like, sorry, Clone Wars fans, we're not coming back. Oh. Ahsoka, I am so sorry about everything. You have our most humble apologies, little Soka. The Council was wrong to accuse you. You have shown such great strength and resilience in your struggle to prove your innocence. This is the true sign of a Jedi Knight. This was actually your great trial. Now we see that. We understand that the Force works in mysterious ways. And because of this trial, you have become a greater Jedi than you would have otherwise. Back into the Order. 
You, Mako. They're asking you back, Ahsoka. I'm asking you back. I'm sorry, Master, but I'm not coming back. No, <laughs> it's just twisting the knife even more. Yeah, that I mean that when you watch it from that perspective, that would oh be a gut punch. Yeah, but I'm I'm so glad that uh, it is coming back now. It's funny because I'm not, and I mean not to brag or anything, because there's absolutely nothing wrong with this. Um, just for me personally, I'm not like a super emotional type person. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, like this episode didn't make me cry. But okay. it certainly was, you know, still an emotional gut punch that, you know, had me in my feelings, as they say. Um, and it's been a long time since I've watched it, um, just because, like, I feel like I have to be in the right mood for it. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like because we've gotten, you know, so many more Star Wars movies now and we've got Rebels and stuff, anytime I go back and watch Clone Wars, it's because I kind of want to relive the glory days um, and just have some fun with it and be like, oh, yeah, let me go watch, you know, an Umbara episode or something, you know, something with a lot of clone trooper action or something like that. And, like, I have to be sort of in the right mindset to want to sit down and watch Ahsoka walk away from the Jedi Order again. And it's just been a long time since I've wanted to sort of put myself through that. Um, and maybe now I'll do that again now that we know that the show actually is coming back so it won't quite kick me in the feels as much when she says that this time. There's a conversation right before she walks down the steps where Anakin runs after her and he says... Ahsoka, wait! Ahsoka, I need to talk to you! Why are you doing this? The Council didn't trust me, so how can I trust myself? What about me? I believed in you. I stood by you. I know you believe in me, Anakin, and I'm grateful for that. But this isn't about you. I can't stay here any longer. Not now. The Jedi Order is your life. You can't just throw it away like this. Ahsoka, you are making a mistake. Maybe. But I have to sort this out on my own. Without the Council. And without you. I understand. More than you realize, I understand wanting to walk away from the Order. I know.
I understand wanting to leave the Jedi Order. Like, he's thought about it himself multiple times of leaving the Jedi Order. And he says it in, in a tone that kind of implies that he would rather leave the Jedi Order to live a life with Padme. And But mm -hmm. he doesn't say it. He just kind of infers it. And Ahsoka says, I know. I know what you mean, Master. And we have episodes now in Forces of Destiny where it's pretty clear that Ahsoka knew that there were things happening between Anakin and Padme. Um, it's not like she is a blind person. She she understood that it wasn't just plutonic, that there was relational relations happening in that relationship. So she understands that her, her master doesn't follow the letter of the law. I mean, and that kind of adds another layer to their relationship where she accepts him as being the imperfect person that he is and having those relationships with Padme. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, and I have to say, I'm not fully up to date on Forces of Destiny. I've <sighs> watched <laughs> I've watched several episodes. I haven't watched all of them. Um, but even just from that quote, I mean, seeing that episode the first or, you know, watching this episode, The Wrong Jedi for the first time when Anakin says what you were talking about, um, or he says, uh, you know, I understand walking, wanting to walk away from the Jedi. And she just says, I know. I mean, I immediately had that same reaction. I was like, oh, so she knows about him and Padme, which, I mean, makes sense because she's spent a lot of time around the two of them and Ahsoka's not dumb. Like, you know, she's smart and she's clever and she knows Anakin really well. Um, and, you know, maybe she didn't 100% know, like, oh, yeah, you guys are married. Like, I'm well aware, but I'm sure she at least had some indication that something was going on there. Um, and so I think this is her, you know, when she hears him say that she kind of pieces it together and she's like, yeah, I figured as much. Um, but it, you know, again, that just even was a really cool, like just moment of understanding between those two characters. I know forces of destiny is like 2d and kind of, um, specifically designed to be targeted to young girls, I think, but it is really good animation and the stories are kind of impactful um season two i really really enjoy i really enjoy a lot of the episodes with padme and ahsoka and then the episodes of yoda are amazing um so i i do highly highly recommend the forces of destiny if if you if you haven't seen them all yet yeah, I probably will check those out at some point. I mean, I, I think I watched most of season one. Um, and I mean, some of them I liked, some of them I wasn't as crazy about. I did really like the one where Yoda is training um, Ahsoka in the Jedi Temple and, you know, teaching her to use the two lightsabers and stuff. That was probably my favorite episode of the one I have seen. Um, they have but added... yeah, I mean, and they're all like two to three minutes long. So, you know, really, I've got no excuse to just bang those out at some point. I think the best way to watch them now, they have added the Disney specials, which are half an hour episodes with uh, a Maz Kanata interlude of storytelling in the middle of it. So they take, I think it's eight episodes in each one. It's it's They're about half an hour, and there's four of them. 
so it's basically two hours. Um, that's the best way I found to watch them. Um, if you are looking to kind of watch them all together. Um, oh, that's good to know. That way you don't have to click on every single two and a half minute episode because that gets old after a while. Yeah. I'm sorry. That was a force of destiny tangent. Okay. Yeah, I think... Well, we're keeping it in the star Wars animation family. What is your number one? So my number one, again, with an asterisk by it, um, but this is actually an episode that I really love. Uh, and this is Shades of Reason, which is the uh, sort of second to last episode of the Darth Maul and Mandalore arc uh, from season five. Um, and the Mandalorian arc was something that I was invested in from the very beginning uh, when they introduced it in season two with the Mandalore plot. And I know some people who were like fans of the Republic Commando novels and stuff had issues with the way they were kind of going in a different direction with the Mandalorians and whatnot. Um, I was fully on board with it from the beginning. I loved those episodes. In fact, up to like it, at the time they aired in season two, uh, the Mandalore plot was my favorite episode. Um, and I just thought the whole thing with like pre Vizsla and the dark saber and all that was super awesome. And so Ever since that first arc in season two, I wanted to see. I'm like, all right, when are the when is Death Watch going to come back, and when are we going to have like a battle for Mandalore and see them trying to take power and and see their plans come to fruition? Um, I was looking forward to that for you know three or four seasons until we finally got that at the end of season five. Had no idea back in season two that Darth Maul would ever be involved in it. Um, but man, those two story those two storylines just wove together perfectly. Um, the thing I love about the Mandalore episodes is, you know, one thing that a lot of people complained about in Clone Wars, sometimes myself included, depending on the episode, was the the political episodes. You know, people would always complain about those being the most boring ones, and it's like, oh, we want to see more of Darth Maul or more of Cad Bane or whatever. Like, why do we have to, you know, waste a week having this episode about, you know? Padme negotiating with bankers and all that kind of stuff. The Mandalorian episodes really are political episodes, if you think about it, because they're all about political manipulation and Satine and her pacifists and the Death Watch trying to overthrow that. And, uh, you know, it's it's this political power struggle for Mandalore, but done in a really interesting way. Of course, it helps when you've got you know, the Death Watch guys in Mandalorian armor and having, you know, action scenes with them and stuff like that. But um, it's just, you know, like I said, it's that that political intrigue and manipulation that's done in a way that is not boring, but like really fascinating to watch play out. I don't know, Brian, are you a Game of Thrones fan? Uh, yeah, very much. Yeah, so after getting into Game of Thrones, when I went back and watched this again, uh, Shades of Reason feels like a Game of Thrones episode in space, like set in the Star Wars galaxy, because this is the point when Maul has teamed up with the Death Watch. They've gathered sort of their power base of, um, you know, the Black Sun and all these other criminals that they're teaming up with, and they go to take over Mandalore, and instead of just having an army take it over, Maul is like, well, what if me and the rest of the criminals go and attack and then the death watch comes in and it appears like they're saviors and then that'll set you up in a position to just easily take power you know the people will lose faith in Satine because she's not going to be strong enough to stop us right and um 
you know, so and they end up capturing Mandalore really easily, which I think at first I was a little bit put off by because, again, I had gotten my expectations up so high over all these past seasons waiting to see this finally happen. Like I wanted to see a big battle for Mandalore and but Maul's plan works so perfectly that the Mandalorian people are just eating right out of Pre Vizsla's hand. Sure. Um, and it ends up being like, whoa, I mean, that was really quick. And uh, but then, you know, Vizsla betrays Maul and puts him in jail. And they, you know, obviously their ultimate end goals were different. And so they end up kind of coming into friction with each other. Um, so Vizsla betrays Maul, puts him in jail. Maul breaks out, comes to challenge Vizsla. And we have what I think is the coolest lightsaber duel in all of Clone Wars. Um, but yeah. the thing I love about this is you got Pre Vizsla pulling out all the stops with the the gadgets, you know. I mean, it's maybe not the cool. It's maybe not the best lightsaber duel in terms of like force force wielders going at it um, with all the the skill that Jedi and Sith have. But to see a Mandalorian wielding a lightsaber, which first of all, I mean, that concept on its own is really cool. But the fact that he that this is something that's been passed down for generations, that he actually is skilled enough with this to hold his own against a former Sith Lord. Um, and obviously he's not going to be able to beat him straight up in a one v one lightsaber duel. And so he has to pull out all the stops and he's using his jetpack, He's using grenades. He's using darts and ropes and saw blades and, um, you know, all this against, you know, the resurrected Darth Maul, who, again, we never thought we'd get to see, uh, you know, doing as much cool stuff as he ended up doing. Um, it's just such an epic showdown and was kind of tragic for me because, I mean, as soon as you see, like, even in the season five trailer, when you saw uh, a preview of this battle of Maul fighting Vizsla, you knew, like, this looks like a battle to the death. And if anybody's making out of making it out alive, like it's going to be Maul. Yeah. Um, and I always thought previously was a really cool villain. I kind of didn't want to see him go. Um, but I mean, the way that Maul takes him out, like, I mean, he died Fantastic. a true warrior's death. Like it, it was, he, he fought as hard as he could. He pulled out all the stops and Maul just bested him. And at the end he's, you know, broken and defeated. the strongest shall rule. I claim this sword and my rightful place as leader of Death Watch. Again, I mean, I'm watching this on like a Saturday morning on Cartoon Network and I'm like, holy crap, they just did that. That was awesome. Uh, you know, again, felt like, I mean, at the time, I wasn't even into Game of Thrones yet, but it felt like a Game of Thrones episode with all this political maneuvering and backstabbing and power plays and then this epic sword fight that ends in somebody getting their head chopped off. Um, it's just, it, it was such a cool moment. And again, the culmination of two of my favorite storylines in all of Clone Wars, which is, uh, you know, the Death Watch and their sort of quest to retake Mandalore and then Darth Maul and, uh, you know, his quest to just kind of regain his footing in the galaxy and, and be relevant and powerful again. Um, and the way that those stories, that those two storylines uh, sort of wove together and then came to a head in this episode, I thought was just executed brilliantly. I think 
this might be sacrilegious, but I think George actually did Mando fans wrong in Mandalore plot. Um, because George never honored the EU because it wasn't his ideas. Um, he, I don't think he honored what came before. I think he just wanted to do his own thing. And so I, I think that in Mandalore plot, when he made the Mandalorians pacifists, and then when he made Boba Fett not Mandalorian, I think that he did a disservice to the, all the fans that have been following and eating up and buying all of the EU about Boba Fett. Um, luckily, we had uh, Dave Filoni as the executive producer of The Clone Wars, and I think that he tries to honor what came before in many, 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 many ways. And that is a credit to The Clone Wars and to Lucasfilm, even now, even today. The answer to your question of when will we see a giant battle for Mandalore is perhaps fall of 2019 on the streaming service. Oh, very service. true. <laughs> oh yeah oh no and again i'm i'm well aware of that now and i mean there's even a pretty sizable battle in the next episode um so i'm not complaining about that at this point i mean I, when i was talking about um how i was just kind of surprised at how quickly they were able to retake mandalore and that it wasn't the big battle that i was expecting i mean that was just kind of me getting over my uh my own expectations the first time i saw it but again i mean i go back and watch it now and i think it's just brilliantly done and yes i am very much looking forward to seeing the siege of mandalore uh when that comes out next year i think that the dark saber is brilliant and beautiful and awesome design uh the lore of it is fantastic i think that the episode of uh sabine training with kanan in rebels makes the fight of pre vizsla and maul probably a hundred times better because you understand that the Mandalorians have all those gadgets uh, to basically fight uh, Jedi because mm -hmm. they don't have the Force. So they have these tricks to fight Jedi uh, that, that are Force-sensitive. They don't have the ability to jump really far, so they have rocket packs. They don't have Force pulls, so they have, like, a lasso or whips. Um, they have guns, so seeing Maul in Previsla go toe-to-toe -to -toe when Maul doesn't use any force powers is amazing. Um, it is one of the best battles, uh, lightsaber duels in the Clone Wars, but it's not quite the best. <laughs> um, I, I love that episode, and um, it's it's very good. The uh, My favorite episode of the Clone Wars is Lawless, which is the very next episode. Um, it is the culmination of Maul's revenge on Obi-Wan Kenobi. Your noble flaw is a weakness shared by you and your Duchess. You should have chosen the dark side, Master what? Jedi. Your emotions betray you. Your fear, and yes, your anger. Let your anger deepen your hatred. Don't listen to him, Obi. Quiet. You can kill me, but you will never destroy me. It takes strength to resist the dark side. 
Only the weak embrace it. It is more powerful than you know. And those who oppose it are more powerful than you'll ever be. I know where you're from. I've been to your village. I know the decision to join the dark side wasn't yours. The Night Sisters made it for you. Silence! You think you know me? It was I who languished for years, thinking of nothing but you. Nothing but this moment. And now, the perfect tool for my vengeance is in front of us. I never planned on killing you. But I will make you share my pain, Kenobi. Obi-Wan does something that Anakin couldn't in Revenge of the Sith, which is amazing. He actually lets go of what he's afraid to lose. He lets go of Satine, and um, he doesn't choose the dark side. He resists the temptation, and because of that, he becomes a better Jedi. I mean, I, I do agree with you that it is very revealing of Obi-Wan's character, the way that he deals with that. Um, and he doesn't, you know, lash out. He doesn't turn to the dark side. But I don't think Maul's intention was to turn him to the dark side. I think it was just to make him feel pain, which he clearly does. But the look on his face when he stabs Satine and, the, and you know, she drops to the ground and Obi-Wan rushes over to her and he's holding her in his arms and she's dying and Maul goes and sits back on his throne and he has a chillingly evil grin on his face. Mm-hmm. Um, he is clearly satisfied with his own handiwork and it's like he has been looking forward to this for a long time. He even tells Obi-Wan, he says, I never intended to kill you. I wanted to make you suffer and make you share my pain. Yeah. Because Obi-Wan didn't kill Maul. He made him, he, you know, he thought he killed him, but instead he basically just condemned him to you know, 10 years of the worst suffering you can imagine. Mm -hmm. And so Obi-Wan or Maul didn't want to give Obi-Wan a quick and clean death. He wanted to watch him suffer and watch him, you know, endure pain. Um, And so once he realized that, you know, Obi-Wan cared about Satine the way he did, he, you know, just killed her in front of him, let Obi-Wan just watch it happen. And then, you know, he's like, here you go. You can, you know, say your final goodbyes, try to savor whatever you want to do. And I'm just going to sit here and savor the moment. And he is clearly she, or clearly just relishing every moment of that. that isn't that the moment that Bo-Katan breaks in and uh, takes Obi-Wan out, like, to break him free? No, uh, that's when he's in prison. But that's the moment when Sidious 
senses something's wrong and says, okay, you know, it's time for me to intervene in this. And I think it's because, I mean, obviously he knew that Maul was running around doing his own thing with his criminal empire and whatever. And he's like, you know what, that's beneath me. I got a, a Republic to run and the clone war to manipulate and everything. And, you know, Maul just is kind of not worth my attention right now. But the minute he interferes with Obi-Wan Kenobi, which could therefore interfere with his plans for Anakin Skywalker. Mm-hmm. He goes, nope, you're, you're getting too close to my plans, buddy. I got to come take you out. And that is just a beautiful, beautiful... Um, I think this is the best lightsaber duel, if it wasn't clear. Sidious versus Savage and Maul is... It was shocking that Sidious has two lightsabers and he mm-hmm. goes dual lightsabers on Savage and Maul at the same time. But it is true in Revenge of the Sith, Sidious clearly uses two different lightsabers. One goes out the window when with Windu, yet he still has a lightsaber with Yoda. So there were two lightsabers. Yeah, no, it makes total sense. But it is it's delicious and amazing and he kind of dispenses Savage pretty easily. Um, and kind of tortures Maul at the same time by doing that. And then kind of, as soon as Savage is gone, he's just there to use force lightning on Maul and torture him. Basically, I have further plans for you against Mother Talzin, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got to tell you a story real quick. I was at Star Wars Celebration 6 in Orlando back in 2012. Yeah. And we, I, I don't know, were you, were you there for that? No, I've not been oh, okay. to a single celebration yet, which is very sad. Oh man, it's a blast. But, um, so we went to the Clone Wars panel, or actually it wasn't like the season five panel, it was the season five premiere. So what they did was they had a screening for, um... Rivalry? Or rival? Revival, Revival. yeah, it was, so, so it was a, uh, you know, just a big auditorium that they filled up, um... And um, I was, you know, already doing. I was involved with podcast stuff back then. I actually don't think I had started the saga. The saga continues yet, but I was involved with the guys on uh, Frontlines, the Clone Wars podcast. And so we had media passes, and we were like up near the front of the room, and we so we kind of got to be front and center for this big Clone Wars presentation. And we got to watch Brothers and uh, Revenge from the end of season four, and then we got to see Revival, uh, which was the first episode of season five. Um, and the first episode of this mall arc. And, you know, we get to see kind of the continuation of that story. Um, and I love that episode, too. I almost wanted to give that an honorable mention, but I didn't want to spend all night talking about Darth Maul. Um, <laughs> it's not a bad use of time. Is, I mean, come on. Yeah. I mean, just like the line where, uh, you know, he's got Hondo and all his pirates on his side and then Hondo betrays him at the end. And he's like, you will pay for your insolence. Insolence. We are pirates. We don't even know what that means. Uh, <laughs> Oh man, that was and and that screening of that episode was so much fun and so cool to get to see that you know on a big screen for the first time with a whole auditorium full of Clone Wars fans who were just super excited about this. And at the end of the screening, uh, they had a little panel with Dave Filoni and some of the cast, and they talked about um, 
you know, making that episode and teased, you know, a little bit more of what we could expect from season five. And they didn't talk about it too much because uh, I think the following day there was going to be a panel that was just dedicated to um, the upcoming. It was like the Clone Wars season five panel. And that's when we were expecting we were going to get to see the trailer and all that kind of stuff. So we thought that this night we were just going to get to see the screening and it was awesome. And we all loved it. And at the end of the panel, Dave Filoni goes, hey, you guys want to see the trailer for season five? And we all lost our minds. We're like, yes, like this is even more Clone Wars goodness than we thought we were going to get in one night. Um, that trailer is amazing. Like so they they showed the trailer and about halfway through it, you see the shot of Sidious igniting the two lightsabers. I don't think I have ever seen a collective group of like 2,000 grown adults lose their freaking minds like they did when we saw Sidious ignite the two lightsabers for the first time. The place went nuts. Yeah. Did you know Jason at that time? Was he there with you? Uh, yes, I did. Uh, yeah, he was with me. I think we had met for the first time like earlier that year. Um, and we had already, I mean, we had already met online and interacted and stuff because we were both involved with, uh, you know, podcast stuff together. But um yeah, we actually that's another funny story I could tell. We flew out uh from Arizona together yeah. um to that convention and we almost missed our flight because Jason got to my house and then locked his bags in his car. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh. um but yeah, man, that was a blast. Good times. Um just seeing Maul and the Mandalorians come together in one arc, it was that trailer it was just like all of your dreams were coming true <laughs> so uh so i it's i think it's pretty clear to say that we're both fans of the clone wars and they're they're pretty amazing uh, can can i ask you a couple of questions about clone war saves or what you hope to see in the like next fall possibly uh, I, I'm never going to say no if you ask me, can I ask you questions about Clone Wars? So <laughs> go ahead. What do you think the 12 episodes will be? So I think I think Siege of Mandalore will be a four-episode arc. Yeah. Um, I think we're going to get the Bad Batch because – so yeah. I, I recently went back and watched the first two episodes of that arc on StarWars.com. Yep. And the shot that we see in the trailer – um, sort of the first shot that's like new footage where it's that flyover of the Republic base um, and then it, the camera kind of stops on Anakin and Rex and Hunter, um, who is one of the members of the Bad Batch and they're walking out of the base. That shot is lifted. I mean, that's the opening shot of the second episode of that arc. Um, and I think they might have modified it a little bit for the trailer because – in the actual episode, I mean, again, the camera movement and everything as it's following, like, the gunship landing on the base and then, like, going under the ATTE walker and everything, it's, like, exactly the same. Yeah. Except then the camera just kind of stops on them as they start talking about, like, planning for their next mission and everything. It doesn't, like, pan around behind them and you see all those Star Destroyers up in the sky and all that. Um, so I think they might have extended that, like, just for the trailer. Um, but I think that's evidence enough that, like we're going to get those Bad Batch episodes in there. Um, as far as the last four episodes, I think I kind of have three different theories on that. Um, I think the most logical and sort of the most 
economical and cost-effective option for the folks at Lucasfilm would be to do the Utapau arc because that is the one other arc that is already released on StarWars.com. It's already in the animatic form. It's already fully got you know the voiceover and the music and all that kind of stuff. So it's the one that they would like have to put the least amount of resources into finishing those episodes. Um, so I think that's a safe bet. I also think... If I'm not mistaken, I think there were supposed to be two story arcs with the Bad Batch. And so if they're doing the first, I mean, if if they're doing the first four episodes, I mean, they might just want to finish that storyline and do another four episodes with the Bad Batch. Um, I wouldn't put money on that, but I think it's a possibility. Um, And then I think, well, actually, I got a a couple other possibilities because there was also supposed to be a four episode arc with Boba Fett and Cad Bane and and focused on bounty hunters. And I think that one would be really cool to see. Um, And I think that's probably one that a lot of fans are hoping for because it's one that, you know, they showed like clips of and stuff at celebrations and things like that. That one Um, has to be rewritten um, at this point with Solo because... Aura Singh died in that ep- that um, arc, but oh. she dies from a different person now after Solo. Like there would have to be an addition of Beckett uh, into that arc if if they're actually going to continue with that arc. Well, I don't remember ever hearing that she was going to die in that arc. Um, uh, Kyle Newman said it on Steele's podcast. Uh, oh, okay. Recently, where they were, yeah, where she was she did a recording and she died and it wasn't from beckett so kyle newman said it on steel's podcast okay gotcha. semi-recently so it's it's not something official um it wasn't on a celebration stage or anything like that but it's just um people that were part of the recording yeah well it makes sense though and honestly i mean i as much as i would love to see those episodes i also could very much see them maybe wanting to save that kind of stuff for a potential Boba Fett spinoff film. Um, and you know, maybe even have him have a showdown with an older Cad Bane or, you know, kind of seeing him take over that mantle, you know, maybe it's like a, a sort of late teen, early twenties Boba Fett in between episodes three and four. And Cad Bane is still kind of like a mentor to him. And this is when he finally, uh, you know, kind of heads off on his own or maybe turns against him or something like that. Um, we need so, Cad Bane and Ahsoka in live action. Like, I, it's just time. I, I think we need those in live action characters. I agree. I would love to see that. Um, and I know there was also supposed to be some episodes about like uh, where Yoda goes to Kashyyyk, and that's, um, that's gonna... the second Bad Batch X episodes. So it's the, oh, was the second it? Oh, you know Bad what? Yeah, Batch right. is Yoda. I forgot about that. Kashyyyk. Yeah, I, I thought those were two different storylines, but um, yeah, no, you're right. I remember hearing about that. So that would be really cool to see. Again, if I had to put money on anything, it would be Utapau. Um, but uh, yeah, we'll see. I mean, they I know they had a few other different uh, storylines in production. Oh, and then the one other thing I was going to say is um, I know there was supposed to be an arc about Ahsoka and just kind of what she was up to in the meantime, just kind of off on her own. Um you know, and I think she was like on Coruscant or something like that. Um, and so that could that could also be a possibility just to sort of bridge the gap and get us to like where she is at the beginning of uh, the Siege of Mandalore. 
I th I think that the safe bet is that we're going to get the two arcs from um, Clone Wars Legacy, which is the Christ Crystal Crisis on Utapau, and then the Bad Batch. The Crystal Crisis on Utapau has a wonderful conversation between Anakin and Obi-Wan around a campfire where Anakin mm -hmm. has to deal with Ahsoka leaving the Jedi Order. I think that that episode is is needed specifically to set up the Siege of Mandalore, like understanding Anakin's headspace after the wrong Jedi. Um, and it, as you said, those two arcs are mostly done. The only thing left that you really have to spend money on is the final rendering, like the actual animation of those. They've been voice acted. They've been written. Um, so it's cost effective to just complete those two arcs. So those are eight episodes and Siege of Mandalore is going to be a four episode arc. So I think that those are the 12 that we're going to get um, with the, the, the season. I do hope that they do more after that if it's a success, like if they get enough downloads, mm -hmm. because they do have so many more arcs that they can complete, and they they're still cost effective because they've been written, they're they've been storyboarded, like they've done concept art, so it's not like they're starting from scratch with these other episodes. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. So like, there's still ways to generate interest into the streaming service by just adding more Clone Wars content because there sure is a passion for it and people are excited about it. Um, and so if they just do 12 and then just renew it and do more, Clone Wars has always been out of order. Um, if you watch the Clone Wars in air date, so many things don't make sense. Uh, it's much, much better to write the, to watch them in chronological order. Um, thankfully, StarWars.com has done put that together, uh, made a wonderful list. Just look up Clone Wars Chronological, and it will, should be the first thing that pops up. Um, so that's the way I would recommend it. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Um, do you have anything else you'd like to add? Um, I don't think so. Um, I mean, like I said, I could talk all day about Clone Wars, um, but it's just, it's such a cool show. It means so much to me as a star Wars fan. And I am really happy that it's coming back. Um, and, uh, you know, I've enjoyed having our discussion and talking about our favorite episodes and, um, you know, that's been a lot of fun. Just makes me want to go back and rewatch a lot of these episodes now. Cause I mean, some of these I've watched recently and some of them I'm just going from memory. Like, man, I haven't watched that in forever, but I remember that being a really good episode. Yeah, like, some of the episodes are really strange. I think both Lucas and Filoni were kind of experimental in some of the ways that they can expand the way that they storytell in Star Wars. Like, who would have thought oh, absolutely. that we would have gotten the Zillow Beast <laughs> 10 years ago? You know what I mean? Yeah. Or who would have thought that we would have gotten the box and... um. Like, there's just some really good individual arcs or um, series that are unique, that are interesting. Yeah, definitely. And that's, I mean, one of the things I loved about The Clone Wars, too, was it all felt like Star Wars, but it was very, I mean, just the diversity of stories that they could tell on a weekly basis, even, you know, with it not always following the same group of characters. You know, I love that you would have, like, a, a three or four episode arc about, 
Anakin and Ahsoka or about the clones, and then you'd go off for one or two episodes that focused on Kit Fisto or Ayla Sakura or, um, you know, these minor characters that we, uh, I mean, a lot of them were already fan favorites, but a lot of it was just based on looks or maybe based off of a comic book issue or something like that. Um, and that's one of the things I really appreciate appreciate about the Clone Wars too. I think that helps add a lot more weight to the prequels and especially episode three. Like when you watch order 66 and you see Kiati Mundi and Ayla Sakura and Plo Koon get shot down there. It's no longer like, Oh, that was, you know, that one, uh, Nameless the, Jedi. The, yeah. yeah, that one Jedi master with the mask or, you know, the blue twilight Jedi or whatever. Um, it's like, man, you know, even if they weren't main characters, like at least with each of those characters, we'd had, you know, two or three episodes in the clone wars where we got to know them on a deeper level. And suddenly it, you know, it hurts a little bit watching their own clone commanders, uh, turn and shoot them down. I'm like, dang, commander Bly, why'd you have to do her like that? Yeah. I mean, it hurts when the wolf pack shoots down Plo Koon. Yeah. I love the way that they've expanded um, and made you rethink uh, how you watch the movies. Um, it's really, really great. Kyle, I want to thank you so much for taking time to talk to me. Uh, we've gone a lot longer than I thought we would have, but I think that we've had good conversation. So um, I want to thank you for that. Um, yeah, well, thank you for having me. It's been fun. My pleasure. Where can people find you online? Uh, well, you can find me on my podcast, uh, Star Wars The Saga Continues. Um, we're on Facebook, you know, uh, at uh, Star Wars The Saga Continues. And on Twitter, you can follow us at Star Wars TSC. Um, and if you want to follow me personally, I'm at Slim Avery on Twitter. Star Wars The Saga Continues was one of the first, semi first uh, Star Wars podcasts I listened to. And they, I've been annoying them for a long time. So give them a listen. <laughs> Um, now it's time to hear from you, the listeners. Uh, you can email us your favorite episodes of The Clone Wars at moonjockeyspodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can follow the podcast at moonjockeyspod. You can follow me at Balls in Play. Um, I'm, I would really ask that you consider rating and reviewing uh, the podcast on iTunes, if you would. We haven't gotten a review in a long time. I would very much appreciate that, and if I get one, I will read it. Uh, thank you so much for listening, and until next time, may the Force be with you, always. Stop button, Chewie.